0: Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 240. This is your host Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lendit Fintech Conference. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome David Ryling. He is the CEO and Chairman at Sunrise Banks. Now, Sunrise Banks is, is a super interesting uh, organization. They are a community bank, but they also are a mission-driven bank. And we get we get into, into some depth about what that actually means. You know, they do provide services to their local community. Uh, a lot of them are immigrant and low- and middle-income uh, populations. But they have a different side of the bank where they are providing banking services to other fintechs. And uh, we talk about that in some depth and talk about some of the, the fintechs they're working with today and what. What services they're offering. Uh, we also get into David's thoughts on the future of the community banking sector. Uh, he gives his thoughts on uh, COVID-19 and more. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank
1: you, Peter. Great to be with you today.
0: Likewise. So, you know, I like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background. It looks like you've been uh, you've been in banking for, for most of your career. So why don't you just Give us some of the highlights of your career to date.
1: Sure. It's funny because everybody looks at me from being a bank owner as being a banker. I'd characterize myself more as an entrepreneur. So my my career started off really working construction every summer that I can imagine, except for one when I was a bank teller, and I loved being a bank teller. It was so much (laughs) fun. As a matter of fact, the bank that I was in that summer uh, got robbed twice, um, right to the left of me and right to the right of me. And I thought it was super exciting. And so <laughs> between the money and the people and the robberies, I just thought this is really cool. So I go off to college. I ended up starting a business in college selling t-shirts and sweatshirts. And uh, the business grew to be fairly good size. And after I graduated, sold that business. And since I loved being a banker, uh, I went to work for a bank in Los Angeles called First Interstate Bank. Who knew? but. Uh, My first two weeks on the job there, the bank that I was in got robbed three times. And so (laughs) bank robbery seemed to be my destiny in terms of uh, part of being a banker. And I thought, which was a normal course of business, so happened that the district manager thought I handled myself pretty well, sent me off to South Central Los Angeles, uh, where I spent a number of years in South Central LA in the bank robbery capital of the world and learning how to navigate uh, an urban core of diverse languages, drugs, gangs, bloods and crypts, Rodney King and riots, fires, earthquakes. And so it was really an exciting time for me. But probably the turning point there was really the third time I had a gun to my head, I figured my luck wouldn't hold out. And so I moved banks to Citibank, had a great experience there, really got exposure to both the investment side as well as the international presence of banking. Had a blast, was uh, working my way towards Uh, New York City and corporate headquarters. Uh, My father called and let me know that there was a bank for sale. I moved back to St. Paul, Minnesota, where I grew up, uh, bought a bank with my father and began a a turnaround situation of a bank that was really a train wreck and about to fail. And really with the focus in on the only way this bank was going to succeed is if the community succeeded. Just so happened at the time, the, uh, the Hmong from Laos, Southeast Asians uh, were the immigrants in the community at the time, and so we essentially created a Hmong bank, Hmong customers, Hmong staff, and uh, we bet on them, they bet on us, and we, we grew nicely. My father had owned two other small banks at the time, and I eventually ended up taking over running those. I kind of merged two holding companies together and three bank charters. We bought another bank charter and bank branch along the way, and then kind of took off, but all around this context of really doing well by doing good mm-hmm. um, in, in mission driven type of a way and that really kind of led us into the leveraging of of technology
0: right right okay so maybe let's just just talk about you know sunrise banks and and how like when when did you actually kind of launch that name and was that sort of um, was that Based on that one turnaround bank, um, well, just tell us a little bit about how, how the name um, and the brand came together.
1: Yeah, sure. So it really started in about 2004. I mean, I bought that bank with my father in, in 1995. Mm-hmm. So in 2004 is when I really, I took over and we, even though we had two bank holding companies and three separate bank charters at the time, we started to go by, Like one bank was called University National Bank. The other was Franklin National Bank. And below the lines, we'd say it was a Sunrise Community Bank. So we're trying to kind of link the three charters together, even though they kind of serve distinctly different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get that halo effect, if you will. And in 2007 is when we really brought the two holding companies together, still three separate charters. And then, we came up with the name of, of Sunrise. It was actually my, my father's name, if you will. He was living in Florida, and I was on my way to work, of which I drive east in the morning. I drive right into the sun. And so <laughs> that's about as all the scientific as how we get to the name. <laughs> right. So the holding company became Sunrise Banks. We did business as that. And then eventually in uh, 2013, we consolidated all the charters and changed the names of the banks officially to Sunrise Banks. Uh, it is plural based on our history as well as the url sunrise bank was already taken and so we stuck with sunrise banks and cracked on
0: okay so so then you know, you've you, you mentioned already that you're a mission driven company and maybe maybe you share you know why that is and and what is the mission
1: yeah so overall people really understand that the, the mission is to do well by doing good and and what that means from a standpoint is, our mission is really at the forefront of what we do. It's not, if you think about it, it's not just an add-on, it's not just your mission plus, you know, or margin plus a mission. And we certainly don't think of it as detractor. We really think that our, our mission and engagement with not only our local communities, but with fintechs, if you will, that do good, that expansion of the mission expands the size of the bank, its earning potential, its business partners, And so it's really our mission multiplies our margin, and then our margin can reinvest in the mission. And so there's a synergistic effect in that space. If I had to give you, take you out of maybe the more philosophical and into the concrete, we have a couple of different certifications, uh, some of which your listeners may be familiar with. The first one that we got was what's known as a CDFI, Certification from the U.S. Treasury as a Community Development Financial Institution. And that real quickly is you have a in your bylaws or board resolutions, your mission is of economic and community development, but then you have to walk that talk, meaning 60% of your services, primarily your loans, have to be to low to moderate income census tracts and individuals. And so you gotta walk that talk every year in terms of certification. Outside of that, our next certification is really as a certified B Corp. And that's a little bit more broad and a little more holistic. So think of instead of a double bottom line, of do well do good it's a triple bottom line of hey we're gonna look out for the social as well as environmental and financial uh, aspects of our customers and the bank and the B Corp certification probably fits us the most in terms of where the bank's focus and mission really lies also has to do with governance and transparency how we engage with not only our customers but broader stakeholder groups and so it's in that realm that Sunrise lives and if I had to take you one step further uh, we're also members of what's known as the Global Alliance of Banking on Values. So just think of it as values-based banks, but on every continent of the world, and really allows us to see different models and participate in conversations with banks and cooperatives or credit unions in the U.S. that have this values-based lens, and we can really take a look at you know, organizations in South America that grew out of the microfinance or you know what's happening in the Bank of Afghanistan or Palestine, some places we rarely hear about. Mm-hmm. These different models are really fascinating, and what's happening in war-torn areas as well as very impoverished areas and very environmentally diminished areas as well. And so, first of all, it it takes my complaining away as a banker out because you know it, this is not Afghanistan, and so uh, I should stop complaining and just get on with my work. And so things of that nature make it easy, but it allows the creativity to think outside the box of just your typical bank model.
0: That makes sense. Okay. So then, so you've, you've got a a customer base that is, you know, somewhat serving under, under under, like like lower and lower middle income, I guess you would say. So maybe you could talk like, who is, what is the core customer base? You mentioned the among, what is the core? What's the, is that still a big part of what you do? I mean, who are, who are your core customers today?
1: Yeah. So there's really two distinct groups of our customers, which really mirror our two business models. One being a very traditional, what you might think of traditional community bank, or in our case, traditional community development bank. So Urban Core, Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, we are primarily a, a commercial bank when it comes to lending. So small business loans to create job creation and to support local entrepreneurs. We do a lot of affordable housing lending for shelter. And we do a lot of community facilities as well and bank a lot of NGOs or nonprofits. And they, we basically, there's a mission fit with all those folks Mm -hmm. on a consumer side in the twin cities. Again, from a local perspective, uh, we bank, not only the business owners, but we bank primarily three different ethnic groups. So the Hmong, as I talked about, the Somali population, and in Minnesota, the Latino population is really Mexican. And so it's a a Mexican population. so that is, half of our business, if you will, from a business model. The other half is really in the payments and in the FinTech space. And we look for, uh, I guess you'd call them program managers in the payment side, particularly in the prepaid card space or FinTechs, really technology companies in all aspects that are looking to serve people and provide some element of good. And they don't necessarily just have to be low income. If you think about good in terms of helping people build their credit history, stay out of high cost or payday lending, build their savings, get access to accounts uh, that they otherwise wouldn't have access to with unique ways of identifying their citizenship and so forth. So we use our partnerships with fintechs and payment providers in order to provide greater access, convenience, ease of use through better design and at a fair price.
0: Okay, so then when did that whole like fintech... You know, initiative—I guess you'd call—or fintech part of the bank. When did that all get going, and what was the what was the sort of the spark that you know that that kind of created that? Because you've got, on the one hand, they feel like two very different initiatives. You've got serving—you know—you're serving your your core customers, and then you're also becoming like a banking as a service type to other fintech companies. And when when and why did you get that started?
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because I can I can picture it like it was yesterday. So in the, the bank that my father and I bought, I was walking across the, the parking lot and I saw three older Hmong women, I'll call them grandmothers, cause they kinda, that's the persona in my head. They were trying to use their, their EBT card, their electronic benefits card, their food stamps, if you will. Right. They're trying to get the money off the card at our ATM and they were putting it in and pushing buttons and it wasn't working out. So I went up and helped them They didn't speak English and I don't speak Hmong. And so there were a lot of smiles and I showed them how to use it. And we went through all three cards and they got their money. And that if there was a a moment of the light bulb going on, it was at that time that I was like, you know, a little bit of education with technology really can allow us to help a lot of people get access to to their money. Mm -hmm. And it's not all that complicated. What ended up happening from there is we... Those three grandmothers, they contacted us through one of their children and asked if we could hold classes at the ATM to show everybody how to use their EBT cards. And so we did. We showed everybody how to, in the community how to use their EBT card. And truth be told, we used to load that ATM up with like 80000 bucks every two weeks, and it would be gone. Um, wow. But it was a great way of building trust with the community and engaging with them and then ultimately getting more staff. And so it it really was again, exponential or a multiplier in terms of engagement and business for the bank. But it really started with trying to listen to what the needs are and, and figuring out, you know, how to help people with their electronic benefits card.
0: Right, right. Okay. But obviously, you've, you've moved a long way, uh, along, a lot further along the, the way than that, than yeah. that. And maybe you can... Tell us, you know, I know, I see, I see your name more and more. I mean, there's obviously, there's, there's True Connect, Remittly I've seen, uh, Self, uh, Self Lender. Uh, I actually, call it, I think they just called Self these days. But um, yep. so maybe you can tell us, let me take one or two of those and just talk about what you're actually providing and how the relationship sort of started.
1: Yeah. So I'd probably take you from that story and just refer back to one of the comments that I said that I'm probably more of an entrepreneur than a banker. Mm-hmm. So it really started to stem when we were working with immigrant populations and so forth. We were testing and trying everything we could to innovate to provide greater access to accounts and to loans to individuals and businesses. It was that same mindset coming off of working in in that prepaid space where we started to what else can we do? And we've been in the tax business. We were in the check cashing business. We, we've been in multiple different businesses that has led us up to where we are today to some of the products like, uh, for example, TrueConnect. And so TrueConnect is a small-dollar loan uh, offering. It's a volunteer employee benefit, so we sell it to businesses for the benefit of their employees and allows them to take out a loan anywhere from one to $5,000, gets repaid uh, through payroll deduction. It is a fixed rate, no cost, no fees, if you will and can be prepaid at any time. And so we're engaging with employers to help the financial wellness of their employees.
0: Right. Okay. So I know well, obviously um, that that kind of service is, uh, you know, it, it can be very, very, very helpful for those that are that are struggling. But I guess the question, you know, I read that you actually, you're not only a partner with True Connect, that you actually made an investment in in that company. Is Can you tell us, so this is something that yeah, you know, I mean, and is that something you plan on doing more of? I mean, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, True Connect is unique in that case, and it's more like a joint venture in that case than it is just a regular partnership. Right. Yeah, because in that in that case we did make an investment in the company and we can just see what is is coming in its benefits and not just from the standpoint of a of a one product situation. True Connect while we talk about it in terms of a small dollar installment loan. It really is a platform in which to deliver additional products and services to employees. And whether that's payroll deducted in terms of a loan, whether that's access to accounts or remittances, savings products, I think there's all sorts of ways in which we can help, generally speaking, that middle to low end of employees and even high end, uh, I should say, access <laughs> True Connect loans as well. But there are products and services that we can di- distribute through that channel, probably very accessibly, super conveniently because we have some data. And if designed right, they can be very simple to use and really at an efficient price for everyone. And so the the fact is that there's that's a really good model and a platform and hence why we made the investment. Right, right. Okay. Now, I wish I had I wish I had the capital to do multiple investments, <laughs> right. um, and we may, in some cases, trade some banking services for uh, a stake in the company to help maybe more of a startup get get out and running. But you know, there's limits to what we can do from a financial capital standpoint.
0: Sure, understood, understood. And maybe just to talk, talk about self. I mean, we had, we had James Garvey, the CEO, on the show a bit over a year ago, and. Uh, you know it's another fascinating company that a creative idea to help uh, help consumers yep. you know build or rebuild their credit tell us uh, tell us about how you kind of connected with James and how the, and how the partnership works
1: yeah sure i mean it was funny cuz we got connected with James through multiple channels one that sticks out i think the first time i ever met him was at what used to be CFSI now the financial health network yep. is where he and i first met But we had multiple people saying, you know, David, you need to meet James. Um, And I think he had a few people (laughs) say, "Uh, James, you need to meet David in Sunrise in terms of you you seem there's a fit there. And so that was kind of the initial discussion. And I would say pretty much right from the start, there was very much a willingness on both sides to want to do business together and, you know, create that contractual and partnership relationship in which to provide, you know, on our side, the banking service of leveraging the charter and, you know, kind of managing the, the, the flow of funds and for James to have that, you know, capability in order to distribute his loans in all 50 states hmm
0: hmm okay so then how how should we think of of sunrise or how would you like like the lots of fintech you know people you know, entrepreneurs listen to this show how would you like them to think of you how sh- should they I mean you're doing banking as a service i mean what are the what are the yep. offerings that you would like to highlight as far as how you want to work with uh, with other fintechs
1: yeah so I think we banking as a service is probably the most generic way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what we'd really love to do is to engage in conversation, and we do this really on a daily basis with fintechs, not only in the US, but also in the UK and EU primarily, and in those fintechs wanting to come to the United States. the The conversation is one of, what are your capabilities and goals and aspirations and what are ours? And the fact is, is it's funny, even some conversations where you think there might not be something or what we run into a lot is people that don't think that their fintech does good in some way. But the fact is, it really does. It's like, you know, like an Enough I wrote about, you know, they're helping people with, with their budgeting and their bills. And that is such a financial wellness component that we would love to see expanded mm-hmm. um, or Nova Credit. Now, we don't work with these two yet. But the fact is, you know, if with the ethnic populations that we serve and the immigrant populations, like a Nova Credit that can, you know, kind of import the credit history from their home or host country to the U.S. credit system really provides people access to, you know, credit and accounts and so much more and gets, you know, a lot of times their entrepreneurial launch. And so there are tremendous amounts of fintechs, in my opinion, that do good. That may not think of it in that way, but there are synergies between us. And even if it's the case that we can't help them, we might be able to refer them either to another bank or to investors and so forth that can. And so we're really, our doors are open to have those conversations with financial technology companies pretty much anywhere and uh, explore the possibilities
0: right so and just just to be clear then i mean the last time we chatted was actually in paris at the paris fintech forum and um you so you obviously you're going there because you you want to meet with other european other european fintechs but it's only for them who are only those fintechs interested in entering the u.s market right
1: yeah that's i mean we have a u.s banking license and charter and so this is the place that we do business now we do have, for example, prepaid programs through some program managers, probably in eight to 10 different countries that we distribute cards, but it's out of a US domiciled uh, entity. And so it's, yes, it is primarily the US in terms of the distribution, but I would say our market is probably North America, UK, and EU in terms of companies that want to domicile here and do business to and get access to the market. And when you talked about an offering, it's, this sounds fairly generic, but if you have to move, store, or lend money, that's what we're in the business for. And whether there's a mission and a values fit, that that's the conversation that we need to have. Right, right.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay, so I'm curious about your use of technology. I mean, you, you're here, you've already contrasted sort of the helping the, the immigrant community that were really you know, challenge, technology challenge, shall we say, going to providing technology services and banking services. How are you how are you using technology internally to, you know, to serve your customers?
1: Sure. Internally, like a lot of community banks, we're transforming, you know, our our paper offerings, <laughs> if you will, to digital from a distribution standpoint. And we actually do something very a lot of times we had ideas locally that we expanded nationally in terms of products and services. In terms of the FinTech, this is one that's kind of been the reverse. So we've digitized our standard checking savings and loan products and now we're partnering with local partners in the Twin Cities and and somewhat just outside the Twin Cities in order to distribute those products. Hmm. So if you go to, uh, one example is a nonprofit called Prepare and Prosper. And we have what's called the FAIR Initiative And Prepare and Prosper, really, their main business is doing volunteer income tax preparation. But at that time of tax preparation, there's usually a refund. There's a need for a checking or a savings account. And there's an opportunity in which to teach people how to use those tools. And so Prepare and Prosper, through their distribution of tax prep sites and their people, they can offer a white-labeled product, uh, the fair checking or savings account, right to the point of desktop. And so this is one way that we can reach our tentacles out, not just within our local community, but even broader, I think, as time goes on. And so those are, it's the partnership and collaboration type of model over again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I mean, from that technology standpoint, I think the other thing that you see is, our systems today continue to transform, and they transform not only within what you might think of the, the core technology of the bank, you know, it's our, our data warehouse and our, our data systems that become extremely important uh, in terms of fintech. And so, not only fintech, but both locally, uh, we really are finding ourselves in the data business. And so, our ability to house data, store data, access it uh, becomes very important. And those are kind of things that you, you know, they're in the back room uh, behind the, the curtains, but that's where some of the magic happens. Right, right.
0: Okay. Okay, so then maybe can you can you give the listeners some sense of, of the size of your bank, like assets, you know, number of branches, yeah, employees, sure. that sort of thing?
1: You got it. So uh, we are a billion one in total assets is what you would see on our call report or on any financial statement. We generate so many deposits through our, our payments and fintechs that we're really about a billion five if you take into account the amount of deposits we sell off our balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So all things considered, we're relatively – I mean, from a community bank size, we're a good sustainable size and growing. We're not super small, but we're not super big, uh, which is good because we're still agile enough. We have about 270 employees, and our headquarters is in St. Paul, Minnesota. We have six banking locations or branches in both Minneapolis and St. Paul. And then we also have a production office in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And if you're not familiar with Sioux Falls, it is the card capital of the world, whether it's prepaid cards or credit cards. And it's a lot of where the payments industry lives in the U.S., Mm -hmm. Um, somewhat because of the laws of South Dakota, the state of South Dakota, uh, is where it kind of grew out of in the Citibank and Chase and Target. And you'll find all the credit card companies domiciled there. So the talent is there in terms of the payments business, as well as attorneys and accountants and so forth. So our office in Sioux Falls houses about 20 plus uh, employees and is growing significantly. And so that's a lot of where the fintech business comes. But I would say that one of the secret sauces, if you will, to Sunrise in terms of its core competency will be in the area of compliance. Uh, Our compliance department is probably more like a U.S. bank than it is a community bank. And it's the capabilities that we have in that department that really allow us to be entrepreneurial, try different business lines, look at all sorts of different models on the fintech side, whether it is to store a mover or lend money. Everybody's got a little different or secret sauce in terms of what they present. And our job is to keep that compliant, yet allowing people to do business. And so uh, we've been able to figure out uh, many creative ways in which to work within the regulations and do it safely and soundly, but allow business to continue. Right,
0: right. Okay. Okay. I'm curious about, you wrote a book recently, or I guess it was over a year ago now, but, um, not many bankers write books about fintech and, uh, and I, I know like, I, I actually i've i haven't read the whole book i meant to read the whole book before before our interview but i never got around to finishing it but i you, you have like five you you feature five different companies in there and one of them some of them we've already talked about yep so what was the, what was the thinking behind the book and and what did you what were you hoping to achieve
1: yeah so first i have to tell you that for your <laughs> for the listeners it's an entrepreneurs book so it's more of a pamphlet no i'm just kidding it's more <laughs> of a small book than it is War and piece right and so uh, I don't have the attention span for a large book. The real purpose of it is particularly uh, listening to bankers on one side, thinking that, you know, fintech is the end-all be-all of a competitor to community banks and banking. And at the same time, there are other people saying, you know, fintech is uh, going to destroy the local and the relationship and all that. And in the conversations that we have with, with different fintechs, I find more times than not that there's some good that's coming out of it, whether you know something on the social side or an environmental side, or helping seniors or protecting them from elder abuse. I just there's so many different ways that we see fintechs that are solving problems and helping consumers and businesses. That I really wanted to share the stories and let people be aware that you know stop fearing uh, this for a moment. Open up your your mind as well as your heart for a moment and take a look at what can be done and are there ways to partner and collaborate to solve issues that you have in your community and to develop that mindset Mm -hmm. Uh, and really start from a standpoint of, you know, is there a way within the fintech industry, broad as it may be, to say, you know, is there some element of good? Uh, Especially when I look at, you know, the OCC came out and now it's run into a bit of a controversy relative to a fintech charter, but financial inclusion was one of the aspects in that. And so is there a way to meet that test? And so there were, I, I just think people were missing some of the points or there were dots to connect to say, you know, between your bank, the regulator, and the fintech, there's actually, everybody is in vigorous agreement here, although they're just not communicating. So part of the book was to put out some examples, like on Self, we talked about peanut butter that helps, uh, people with student loans, True Connect on the small dollar lending, Nova Credit in terms of immigrants and their credit bureaus and earn-ups in, term, uh, in terms of our budget and management. Those were just, I think, five examples of like 20 I had in which to just highlight some good that's going on in the industry and try to encourage people to think in that mindset, particularly mm-hmm. FinTech, that this is that there's good in this. There's There's more than just money that can be had here.
0: Right, right. Okay, so we're almost out of time, but a couple more questions I really want to get to here. First so is just about the community banking landscape in general. I feel like you know, there's you know, community banks are continuing to be challenged by by technology and by and by and by fintech. You're obviously one that has kind of you know, really used used sort of technology to your advantage. But what are, what are your thoughts on the community banking sector as a whole? Are you optimistic about its future?
1: You know, I uh, wish I could say that I'm optimistic about its future, but I think we've seen the number of bank charters decline over the past 30 years for multiple reasons, and that continues today. We lose about one bank charter a day due to merger, consolidation, and so forth, Mm -hmm. and that is going to continue, if not accelerate, with the entrance of fintech in this space. And so it's going to tank a bank that is open-minded, willing to collaborate, in which to engage with FinTech and invest in it, in in which to survive to a certain extent. It's not to say that all community banks are going away because some are in very rural parts or have very niche businesses and, and they will continue, but you're just not gonna have as many charters as uh, we do today. It's just the, the game is moving at such a pace and if you hadn't made that investment, it's almost hard to catch up at this point in time.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay.
1: If I can say one other thing in regards to that, uh, one of the biggest issues is not financial. It's really the mindset of both the board and management of community banks. The the diversity of thought or the scarcity mind of saying, hey, can we just go back the way it was? Right. And that's like, you know, Blockbuster thinking it's going to resurrect and Netflix is going to go away. You know, it's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, we're recording this on March eleventh, the day that the WHO just declared COVID nineteen uh, a pandemic, and I'm curious. You know, obviously it's a fast moving situation. This will be this this will be published in uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, things might have changed completely by then. But I'm just curious to get your take on how you feel like it's it's impacting or it will impact the banking system and and banks like yours, and and maybe what what fintech can uh, can do to help.
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Peter. This has been my my life for the past several days, and uh, I think will continue to be so for the next couple of months. So if you think about a bank from our two business models, let's take our very local business model approach. As this pandemic kind of spreads its way through uh, the United States, you'll find that branches close or consolidate to have, you know, only one branch open in a particular area to minimize the impact lobbies being closed, using drive-through, relying on their technology, their online banking, their mobile banking in which to transact business. And so this is really, if there is a silver lining in terms of banks and technology, I think the pandemic is going to shift banks' mindset into, can we work remotely? Why do we do things the way we do? What's really essential? When you get down to those root questions of, These are the things we really need to do, and these are things that were nice, but, boy, we could stop doing them. That's when change happens, and unfortunately, it takes a crisis to do that, but the fact is is the preparation for that and the mindset around that is really coming from a good place of we want to protect our customers, our employees, and our community uh, from the spreading of this pandemic, but it really is allowing us to rethink what is essential and how are we going to function under those conditions, which a lot of will rely on our ability to, you know, to remote in uh, from home and uh, use automation processes and so forth. Right, right. If I had to take that out into the broader FinTech space, it is one of the beauties of an automated technology and that is, boy, I never went into a bank to start with. Uh, I don't even rely on that system today. I can transact, I can uh, get access my loan, with various tools, whether it's a card or online, and do so very efficiently and effectively and without having to leave, you know, the comfort of my home or expose myself or my family to that. Right,
0: right. That makes sense. Okay, so last question then. So what, what is on tap? What, what's next for Sunrise Banks?
1: Yeah, for Sunrise, it's really going to be the, the big growth engine for us will be around our engagement with financial technology companies, and broadening our capabilities and capacity in which to do that. And we'll, we'll likely spin up an entity in which we'll be able to take on more volume in terms of fintechs and work with uh, many banks in which to distribute some of those loans and assets and potentially kind of share in that, in that growth. And so we, we see from our own pipeline standpoint, as well as what's beyond that, that uh, fintech is a big and bright future for us and we look to engage uh, with fintechs on all sorts of different levels. And the one thing that I would kind of lay out where we really find some interesting models is on on companies and individuals who have technologies or customer bases that they don't think they're a fintech, um, they don't identify that way. They might identify that they're an attorney or an accountant or something, but they have a solution in which they do need to move, store, or lend money in which we can help them do that and facilitate that. And so. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more our, our services is behind the curtain, or we're, we're on the back of the card, we're embedded in the terms and conditions, but the, our customer or partner's on the front, and we're just facilitating a better, faster, easier transaction for the consumer or business that's on front, a better customer experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds great, and uh, I wish you all the best. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, David.
1: Thanks, Peter. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Okay, see ya. Bye bye. You know, we've heard it many times from banks of all sizes that say they're not really a bank. They're more of a fintech company or even a technology company, as some of them say. And, you know, I, I think with, in the case of Sunrise Banks, they really, they, they are walking the walk. And, you know, I think they're doing what, what makes them so interesting to me is that they're really embracing fintech, embracing being a provider to other fintech companies, while at the same time they're this mission-driven company serving their community, serving either a CDFI and a B Corp. And that combination, I think, is unique in the entire country. I, I really don't think there is another bank out there quite like Sunrise Banks. So I think they have a, a unique position. And uh, David is, uh, you know, obviously has, uh, has big plans. And uh, I, I think they're one of the most interesting banks and one to watch. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.